Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to this episode of Matterfile, where today we speak with Mr. Zed Basha about the agriculture and drainage systems in Yemen. Yemen, as you would have all gathered by now, is experiencing an unprecedented famine and drought, and this episode helps uncover the underlying historical reasons behind why that drought and why that mismanagement of resources exist. Our conversation covers the de-development of Yemen through neoliberal reform across the 1970s and 80s, we talk about why cut is particularly problematic and what needs to be changed in order to revalorize domestic crop production in way of changing demand structures in Yemen. All in all, it's a great conversation to helping understand how Yemen's agricultural sector is being crippled and decimated and what needs to be done in order to regrow and reconstruct the agricultural sector of Yemen. On a side note though, Please do leave Matterfile a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It would be massively helpful to help increase our listener base and our audienceship. Here's the conversation with Zed. Welcome to this episode of Matterfile, where today I'm joined by Mr. Zaid Basha, who is a management consultant working at Deep Root Consulting. And he's written a couple of incredible papers on policy and socioeconomic analysis within Yemen itself. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zaid. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So I want to start again from the history of the Republic of Yemen in 1962, when it, started, when it first became a republic. And I want to look at uh, agricultural reform and agricultural policy since then. So starting from government since then, and then to the unification in 1990, what was the agricultural policy like? And did any agricultural development happen in that time? What were the main agricultural products that were propelling the economy through that late 20th century phase? So in the 1960s, two republics formed, the North 
uh, north of Yemen and the south in the north of Yemen and south of Yemen. Most of the agriculture agricultural land is in uh, what's categorized under the northern part of Yemen, uh, because that includes the maybe mountain highlands and the midlands and the uh, very uh, fertile uh, valleys of Yemen, uh, specifically uh, areas like the Yemeni Tihama. After the uh, the formation of the two republics, there was a period of political instability because civil wars erupted both in southern Yemen, northern Yemen, and this continued uh, throughout the 60s. However, by the 70s, a new agricultural policy started taking shape uh, in its earliest form, perhaps uh, in Yemen, and somewhat indirectly. What happened is Yemen has been historically known as a self-reliant uh, country. It has been for many centuries almost fully uh, dependent on itself in agricultural production, including food production. But what happened is that in, in the early 1970s, this self-reliant economy was undercut by two main events. First, uh, U.S wheat imports flooded Yemen during that period. And uh, the justification for that was that uh, these imports are cheaper because, in fact, they were, because they were, they were subsidized both by the United States government as the exporter, but also they were subsidized by the government of Yemen as the importers as well. So it was definitely uh, very cheap. This triggered what I call a, a, a domino effect in the country that has created a huge problem that has manifested itself today. Uh, the problem is that with these wheat imports, local farmers in Yemen were discouraged to continue their agriculture, their rain-fed agricultural practices, which they've been doing since time immemorial. And instead, and this is where the agriculture, the new agricultural policy comes into play. Instead, market value crops were encouraged and valorized, and therefore uh, terrace cultivation in favor of uh, irrigated uh, agriculture. Uh, and what happened with, the, with uh, as, as time elapsed during the 70s is that within a period of two decades only, many of the mountain terraces uh, were neglected. They started falling apart people uh, abandoned their lands, migration, mass, migra mass migrations of Yemeni male uh, labor uh, started around that time to the uh, Gulf countries, specifically Saudi Arabia. And from that point onward, the agriculture sector took a downward trajectory in Yemen. Now, the agriculture policy in, in northern Yemen throughout that period, the 1960s and the 1970s, was not necessarily a policy that was uh, adopted by the government. It was not a national policy per se, as much as it was a global direction that was dictated by development uh, agencies working very actively in Yemen during that time. Uh, because at that time, uh, after the, for the formation of the new republic, Yemen became accessible to the international community. Uh, developmental uh, Development agencies uh, started becoming very active, uh, promoting market value uh, 
cultivation of crops and exports, uh, overlooking uh, traditional sustainable uh, rain-fed agriculture. And so while it was not a policy that was directly adopted by the government, it was in a way indirectly dictated on Yemeni governments and uh, it just became the status quo uh, for a couple of decades before it started, uh, we started seeing its problems. You mentioned again that most of the arable land and most of the fertile land was located in North Yemen. Has that disparity manifested in the way funds were directed towards agricultural policy between North Yemen and South Yemen in that did an agricultural sector in South Yemen ever develop? And if so, what did it produce? There were definitely uh, an important uh, agriculture activity in southern Yemen. However, in terms of exports and food production, the majority and specifically uh, stable uh, cereals, uh, stable grains, they were mainly produced in, in, uh, in uh, northern parts of Yemen. Southern Yemen, of course, uh, had important agricultural pro products like uh, uh, cotton, for example. And, uh, and other, and other uh, agricultural products as well. But when we speak of food production, when we speak of stable grains, which was uh, a dominant part of the entire population's uh, diet, all of that happened in the north. And uh, therefore, the focus of uh, those agricultural policies was directed towards uh, farmers located in the mountain highlands of Yemen and the mountain midlands and the Tehamas. And the reason this created a problem, to be very precise, is that there is an ancient relationship, uh, which is why, by the way, Yemen was known as Arabia Felix. There is a very crucial ancient relationship between rainfall and agricultural activity in the, in the uh, uh, terraces in the mountain highlands of Yemen, and then between the, the terraces and the valleys, the wadis of Yemen, because Yemeni farmers over the centuries learned how to cultivate, how to harvest this rainwater, how to manage the seasonal rains of Yemen in a way that helped them develop essential crops such as sorghum, barley, uh, millet, on which the entire population depend, de depended, not just for uh, food production, but uh, food consumption, but also for uh, as feed for livestock in Yemen. And because farmers was, were discouraged from continuing this rain-fed agricultural, agricultural activity in Yemen, what happened is that this system, this entire food production system collapsed eventually within a very short period of time, within two decades almost, because terrace, uh, the, the walls of the terraces started falling apart. Uh, rainwater was no longer being controlled the way it used to be uh, for, for a very, very long time. Uh, floods started covering areas of the, of the, of the Yemeni Tehamas, and therefore people who, dependent, who de depended on uh, rainfall that came uh, from the mountain highlands to, to irrigate the wadis, now no longer received water that they were able to manage. Instead, they, they have been flooded uh, by rains in, in ways that they could not manage, even with the help of 
development agencies in, uh, in recent times. And so the whole system collapsed. Uh, as simple as it is, it was a, a self-reliant system that uh, collapsed because um, those traditional agricultural practices were, were discouraged, were overlooked. But if the government was discouraging or overlooking traditional agricultural practices like rainwater-fed agriculture for an irrigation-based system of agriculture such that their crops were more competitive on the market, did the government ever implement an agricultural scheme that would help uh, irrigated irrigation-based crops? Or did they largely neglect the growth and the development of an irrigation and drainage system in Yemen? As far as the governments, the, the consecutive governments of, uh, of Yemen are concerned, they did, what happened is that, first of all, they, they uh, of course, they, 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 they supported such uh, agricultural policy by, for example, subsidizing uh, diesel, which helped farmers and encouraged farmers to, uh, to turn away from rain-fed agriculture towards water, groundwater dependent agriculture. Uh, and not only that, those crops that depended on irrigated agriculture used uh, a lot of bigger amounts of, uh, of water, especially when you speak of uh, items such as cat, the, the infamous cat <laughs> uh, that, has, uh, that has consumed a huge amount of water in Yemen. So of the of the water used for irrigation agriculture in Yemen, almost 40% of that goes to cat. Uh, now, it is, it is noteworthy that cat has been uh, a refuge to Yemeni farmers from this international market uh, system that encouraged exports over domestic uh, production. However, uh, it also has impacted Yemen in, in many ways by, by exploiting a very scarce resource in Yemen, uh, which is water. So that's one thing that the government of uh, Yemen did was uh, supporting irrigated agriculture. The other thing they did was ignoring and marginalizing small holding agriculturalists in Yemen and focusing more on mass industrial uh, production and exports, which was in later years subjected to cartel activity, which were the result of political contestations in Yemen that happened after the unification. And uh, over time, small holding agriculturalists uh, were completely marginalized, which is very problematic because Yemen is a rural society. Traditionally, we've been a country of farmers. And so we depended on agriculture uh, to a very large extent. The majority of the work of the Yemeni labor force, either uh, one way or another, is employed in food production, and uh, and unfortunately, this this is not reflected in in official uh, whether it's official or international statistics on Yemen because GDP accounting specifically, by definition, does not take into account own use production and consumption, and therefore. The whole, the, the integral role of agricultural activity in Yemen has been overlooked in so many ways, have been marginalized in so many ways, whether by the way we record statistics or uh, through public policies uh, that I have uh, 
described in part earlier, or through interventions by development agencies. All those factors played or helped in, in reducing the role of agriculture in Yemen's development as a whole, overlooking the, the integral role of that sector. And is it fair to say that because that sector and development of that sector was overlooked from the start of the Republic and after unification as well, is that a leading cause as to why there is a famine in Yemen today and there is a ma massive shortage of food? Uh, absolutely. It, it is by all means the state of agriculture sector in Yemen is a state of crisis of the highest magnitude, I must add. To put it in the words of the United Nations, Yemen is today facing the imminent threat of a famine of biblical proportions, as they have uh, described it. Others have described Yemen as the largest uh, man-made human catastrophe. And, th and it is precisely due to that, because we have 20 million Yemenis today, out of the population's 30 million. We have 20 million who are food insecure, 10 million, uh, 10 million of whom are either starved or famished. So this, uh, this doesn't, did not happen overnight. This was the result of a huge mismanagement of the agriculture sector in Yemen. It was, uh, I think, to a very large extent, Yemeni uh, elites and politicians uh, and uh, bureaucrats take a, a big portion of the blame. They were very short-sighted. They were irresponsible towards the sector in particular and towards the country's development uh, in general. But uh, the, the, the external interventions by uh, development agencies in the name of development have actually de-developed the sector. As, as described by some researchers. The sector has indeed been de-developed because in a nutshell, to put it very simply, what happened in, in Yemen and in many agrarian uh, and rural societies in, in, in the region as well, is that production uh, market valuation has been favored over ecological sustainability and food security. This is really the bottom line of the whole issue. Uh, so, uh, and this is an issue that you, 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 you see in other countries as well, where exports have been promoted, which is good, market and domestic markets have been liberalized and opened, which is good, but they have not been integrated with domestic markets. They have not been integrated with, uh, take for example, the, the case of uh, the Paraguay, a country which is doing very well uh, in exports. Speaking of grains, for example, they're a huge exporter of soybeans. However, you cannot say that this is uh, good in the long term because it's not sustainable. It does not integrate well with the rest of the economy. So this is very precisely why it, is it has been problematic in Yemen. This is why today you have two thirds of the country, believe it or not, in pre-famine stage. This sounds actually quite terrible when you describe it this way, because if I understood you correctly, this means that most of the crop production that has been incentivized by international agencies is geared towards export-based crops, 
which means that the food security that could have been sustained by either subsistence farming or small scale crop production has been completely wiped out. Is it possible and is subsistence farming a realistic measure to help revive the food economy in Yemen and help revive some amount of food distribution in Yemen to help cure the famine? Absolutely. It's not something that can be achieved overnight. We have to, uh, to bear in mind that the change that happened in Yemen from close to food, I call the transformation. It's not really a change. It's a transformation of Yemen from close to food sufficiency uh, to, to food insecurity it happened over a period of five decades. So you're not going to reverse that overnight. This is why I think that revalorizing agriculture in Yemen, reversing the de-development of this sector and the country as a whole, is a long, requires long-term planning. It is, a, it is really, I think, the first and foremost, it is a paradigm shift. Unless post-war governments change how they look at the sector, unless development agencies change how they look at the sector, unless we revalorize agriculture uh, and restore the, the central role of rural production and in Yemen's economy, I don't think we can achieve anything because we will just continue along the same path of new liberal agriculture policies, which we cannot say that they're pure evil, but they've been oversold in Yemen to the point of uh, making the country inordinately uh, and absurdly dependent on imports. Uh, to give you some specific numbers, Yemen, uh, even though Yemen has traditionally uh, produced uh, sorghum, millet, barley, uh, which have been the country's uh, stable grains, today Yemen imports uh, some uh, of Yemen's food stables. 70% is wheat. So Yemen, uh, Yemen relies almost entirely on imports for food staples. 70% of which is wheat, the majority of which is imported wheat because Yemen only uh, produces a uh, very little amount of wheat. Wheat was never uh, part of Yemen's uh, uh, food stables. And it was, uh, we have a Durham type of wheat that was used traditionally for a very specific occasion. So instead of uh, relying on the traditional home grain, uh, homegrown, native crops such as sorghum, millet, barley, now you're importing almost over 90% wheat. You're importing 10% uh, of Yemen's imports is, uh, include dries. Uh, some 5%, uh, for example, uh, includes other uh, items such as uh, milk or cooking oil. Putting it together, they amount, I think, just before the war in 2014, the imports of Yemen's five main food staples amounted to a total value of $2.7 billion, which was almost a quarter of Yemen's uh, merchandise imports. So this is definitely unsustainable. And I think it makes sense. I hope policymakers can see that at this point. Uh, I hope they can see what has not worked worked in Yemen, and that 
it makes sense that domestic production of homegrown uh, grains should be encouraged, should be supported. Uh, small farming agriculture is important because it's not just about exports uh, and, and market uh, uh, values, but it is also about sustainability, about livelihoods, uh, and uh, about people's dignity, really. People have not, Yemenis have not just lost access to food. Food is a right. They've, with that, they've, they've lost part of their, they've lost an important asset. They've, they've lost part of their dependency and dignity. So the issue definitely uh, is beyond the issue of exports and uh, whether, and uh, to import or not to import is not really the question. The question is, have past agriculture policies commodified what's most important to us, our livelihoods? This is, I think, what's in question. I'm assuming because you mentioned the war, and I want to place this into the context of the war that started in 2014. But since the war, because of the blockades from Saudi Arabia, I'm assuming that a lot of wheat import into Yemen stagnated and stalled, which also probably contributed in large part to mass starvation and famine. Yes, because uh, the consequence of the of the of the agriculture policy of the, of the previous decades was hooking Yemen with imports, specifically wheat imports. And uh, once Yemen was hooked with imports, uh, once uh, subsidies that made wheat imports cheap were lifted, Yemen became <laughs> so dependent on imports to the point that they can't find alternatives. Cheap for two, until the 19, uh, wheat, until the 19, wheat imports until the 1990s, were subsidized by the late 1990s. Uh, those subsidies were lifted in full. By that time, if you compare the production of sorghum, for example, and uh, and barley, they have dropped by sorghum has dropped by 80%. If you compare today sorghum production today to what it was five decades ago, we have lost 80% of sorghum uh, production, domestic production. We have lost some 50% of uh, barley domestic production, uh, which were Yemen uh, food staples. Of course, uh, come the war, it made the situation a lot worse because since Yemen depends on international imports, we, we, need, uh, uh, we need to have access to foreign currency. And because of the blockade, because we've lost our hydrocarbon, hydrocarbon exports and the revenue that comes from that, because the central bank of Yemen uh, basically had to use up all of its foreign exchange reserves, we really have no access to foreign currency. So not only, uh, not only today we have no domestic alternatives, but we can even no longer buy wheat or or rice, or sugar, or cooking oil, or milk, including milk uh, for children, uh, for babies, ba like baby formula, but because we just don't have the uh, Yemeni importers don't have access to the foreign currency that's needed. Uh, this is not to mention log logistical issues. This is not to mention internal issues, whether whether they're related to the ongoing 
battles or closures or or liquidity internal liquidity crisis uh, so the war has definitely made the issue it, it it has not created the issue it has amplified it it has exposed it and uh, it has left the the millions as i've said earlier uh, really in a helpless situation yeah and i'm uh, the other consequence that i've been reading about about the war is just a shift on issues that the governments both the hadi government and the houthis have actually shifted onto so a lot more focus is going on to fighting individual battles or trying to galvanize support for their separate regimes or even solving the liquidity crisis but from the looks of it it doesn't seem as though either state either the houthi controlled north of yemen or the hadi controlled south is actually focusing on any kind of agricultural development has this made the situation a whole lot worse and what is the state of agricultural development right now it is an issue that predates the ongoing war it has just been made worse by uh, by the current war uh, yemen's economy as a whole has been overlooked so internally yemeni elites have been preoccupied too occupied really with uh, with uh, political contestation uh, militarization of the state Yemen has never been stable since 1960 as i mentioned there've been just too many north north south south north south wars in fact a, f- a friend of mine once half jokingly said that we should count the number uh, count our ages by the number of civil wars and uh, and conflicts <laughs> that we have witnessed and uh, to a large extent he is right there've been just too many conflicts that have destabilized the countries of course on top of that you have the ill conceived uh, short sighted oversold new liberal agriculture policies that have been not just dictated but dogmatically dictated in the country for for a very long time so you couple mismanagement of agriculture sector in yemen whether it's before the war or during the war with these external factors and you end up with a very difficult intertwined situation that uh this tangling really requires a lot of effort but we need to start as i said the starting point is a paradigm shift i don't think uh attitudes towards yemen's development or uh in ge- generally speaking or agriculture agricultural development and rural development in particular ha- have not changed attitudes towards those two have not changed yemeni politicians are still occupied uh with uh, too occupied i'd say with the ongoing uh with the ongoing it is really a fight over over power there's there's just uh you could put any any name to it uh but really whether it's uh, regardless of who's who uh it is the yemenis who are carrying the the brunt of the war uh it is really the yemenis who are paying the price of the war who are paying the price of overlooking economy this is why a group of yemeni experts and uh, activists are really pushing the economic agenda they're saying in they're saying that in, they're stressing that in any upcoming peace negotiations the economy the economic the, the, the economic file has to be one of the pillars of the discussions of the negotiations it has to be one of the outcomes the unless 
we're able to restore some stability that takes into consideration factors as those we have discussed with, with, with regard to the agricultural sector, peace will never be achieved in Yemen. And uh, it will only be temporary. And we have many historical evidences uh, that show that unless Yemen becomes economically stable, and many in fact argue that the root cause of, the, of, uh, of most of the conflicts in the country, going back all the way to the 2000s, whether it's uh, the, the rise of Al-Qaeda or the Houthi insurgency or the southern unrest, what, wherever you look in the country, Many argue and many Yemenis feel that the root cause really has been economic instability. And people have been just fighting under different banners over the years in hopes that they will change that. And therefore, it is very important for Yemeni politicians. I don't think there's much they can do during the war because this is really, developing the country is really a long-term endeavor. But I think as a starting point, we just need to change our attitudes. We need to restore uh, the, the central role of the sector and rural activity. We need to respect the, the, the reality. I think what everybody has overlooked in Yemen is that they have overlooked the crucial relationship between the land and the lives of its inhabitants. They, they, and they need, this is why I think the development of Yemen is a matter of, uh, of a national priority. We need to own Yemen's development after the end of this war. And uh, the international community should support us, but in a way that helps us uh, achieve dependency uh, and uh, uh, not continue to do things that have proved over and over again that they're not uh, sustainable, they're not favorable in any way. I want to shift slightly and talk about the water sector and agriculture, because we've spoken about the famine and we've spoken about food insecurity, but Yemen also is experiencing incredibly bad water shortages and thirst and droughts across the country. How, how has the water mismanagement become so bad over time that people do not have access to clean water to drink? Absolutely, yeah. If, uh, like, I, I, whether, you, whether you're looking at urban Yemen or rural Yemen, both have very little access to, to, to clean water, to fresh water. Uh, in, in both parts of the population, I think you can say that some 50% don't have access to fresh water. Hence, the cholera outbreak that happened during the war, which has exceeded 1 million uh, Yemenis. Uh, one million cases, I think some described it as the, as the largest and recorded history, human history, not in Yemen's history, the largest case of, of, cholera, outbreak, of cholera outbreak. So uh, Yemen has been a scarce resource. It was uh, mismanaged to the same degree that the agriculture sector as a whole was man mismanaged when Agriculture policy favored irrigated agriculture over rain-fed, sustainable rain-fed agriculture. This is exactly what they did. They overlooked the scarcity of this resource. They, they overlooked the fact that Yemen's water consumption exceeds its ability to, to recharge 
it's very limited water resources. Yemen depends on seasonal rains uh, and in only very limited parts of the country, not throughout. Most of the country is a desert, really. And even the, 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 uh, the very fertile wadis of, the, of places like the Yemeni Tihamas, for example, they depend on rainfall. They don't have their, uh, there's no surface water in Yemen. Uh, so we, the majority of Yemen depends, not the majority, the entire country depends on rain, on rain for agriculture and food production. If you look at per capita water resources in Yemen uh, before the war, we were looking at, I think, 125 cubic meters compared to 1,250 uh, cubic meters for the, for the region of North Africa and Middle East. So Yemen, if, so if you compare Yemen to a region which is already a very dry region, Yemen was actually very, uh, 10 times lower than, than the region's average. And if you compare it to the world average, the world average uh, of uh, per capita water resources sits at 7,500 something cubic meters, uh, whereas Yemen is 125. So we don't have access to fresh water. Water is a very scarce resource. It has been uh, mismanaged. Uh, the sector has not been regulated. It has been uh, irrigated agriculture has been overfinanced and it's 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 quite a, it's quite a mess when you when you look at the different pieces of it, uh, and it's just it it speaks to two points. First, the degree it, the degree to which the agriculture and water sector has been mismanaged in Yemen, uh, but also the the degree to which Yemen's de-development has been misread. It is surprising when you look at some international reports on Yemen. So, for example, let me give you an example. Some, some reports, even though Yemen has already reached this uh, catastrophic uh, decline, they still argue that the, 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 the decline in the number of uh, Yemeni labor employed by the agricultural sector, in fact, verifies the mainstream hypothesis that as societies develop, they move from agriculture activity to industrial activity and to services activity. So they attribute the decline in, in uh, the, the, the mass migration of Yemeni labor to the Gulf countries. They associate the, the freeing of Yemeni labor from the land with development. And this is a huge misreading because if, if Yemen today is an example of a developed society, just because it's no longer uh, <laughs> engaged in agriculture activity, then one truly wonders what a state of human and physical uh, regress would look like if this is not already a case of, of uh, catastrophic and dramatic decline, if this is not already a case of reverse development. So definitely water is, in, uh, is a very scarce resource in Yemen, uh, and uh, it supports the argument that it is very crucial to adopt policies that are sustainable. But surely people before the crisis, actually before the war started, also acknowledged that there is a scarcity of water at some point. Like surely people, especially with the population growth of Yemen, some government must have looked at the water resources and gone, ah, oh, we probably can't continue this because we don't have enough fresh water coming in. 
Has there ever been an attempt to either like the UAE and Qatar uh, use water purification facilities to harness the large coastline that Yemen has or to just harvest rainwater better so that it can be used all year round? When it comes to going back to sustainable uh, methods of agriculture in Yemen and practices that do not exploit water, Yemen's scarce water resources, I, I don't think there were any serious attempts uh, the, the, because the policies have not really changed. Cut cultivation continues, as I said, like Yemen, uh, not Yemen's water resources are very scarce, scarce. 90% of those uh, resources, scarce resources goes to agriculture. And then you have 40% of those of that goes to irrigating cut or crops that don't really contribute to, uh, to the population's dietary needs. So there's, there's definitely uh, been uh, uh, a shortcoming on that side. I don't think that the issue is that we are not entirely aware of the issue, but no serious steps were taken, uh, evidently. I read a, an article online that talked about cut being, being, being made illegal in Northern Africa and in some of the Gulf countries. Is this true? And do you think cut should be made illegal, not, even, not only because of the addictive effects of it, but more so just the amount of water it consumes and takes away from the large population in Yemen? I don't think it should be made, made illegal. It is, it is definitely uh, a bad crop to cultivate because uh, it's really a narcotic. It's a mild form. Uh, it's a mild narcotic. There's not, no nutritional value in it especially when it uh, occupies uh, such large proportions of the land. But in the case of Yemen, of Yemen's entire uh, cultivated land, art occupies almost 15% of that. And you have to keep in mind that Yemen, uh, Yemen's cultivated land is very small. It's hardly 2% of the entire country. Uh, so for such a very small area that's suitable for growing crops and food, for such uh, a, a crop to 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 to, to take fifty percent of the total land is it's it's definitely uh, uh, a problem. However, for practical reasons, I don't think it should be made illegal because people a wise policy should be a policy that's that takes a holistic approach towards resolving any of these issues, especially those issues that, that take a long time to reverse. You have to give uh, Yemeni, uh, local Yemeni farmers alternatives. You have to gradually uh, shift away domestic cultivation in Yemen from, uh, from cut. I don't think making it illegal is wise. I don't think it's practical. Uh, even if you, 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 and there are some examples in Yemen, like uh, an area of Yemen uh, called Haraz. Uh, Haraz is very uh, famous uh, for, uh, in fact, they are a success story in being able to replace cut cultivation with coffee. Coffee is a cash crop that's not just uh, valuable in, in, in local terms, it is very valuable internationally speaking it is an interna it is an important international uh, commodity and uh, i think yemen should adopt policies that gradually 
shift away from from cut cultivation to cash crops, which are not not uh, they're underutilized really in Yemen. We don't produce enough cut. We don't uh, export enough cut. We should be exporting cut, not uh, not other uh, water intense. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, we should be in, uh, exporting coffee, not uh, water intensive crops such as. Uh, the fruits or the vegetables uh, that Yemeni uh, exports to, to neighboring countries. Sorghum production, I think, needs to be revalorized, needs to be encouraged. It is an important alternative to, to wheat. Uh, as I said, it is, it is quite, it is telling that domestic production of sorghum has, has dropped by 80% when it used to be the number one food item. From the sound of it, though, uh, the land that is currently being used to cultivate cart is still very fertile land and other crops can be grown on it. Do you think the, the imminent policy reform should be one that focuses on already fertile land that can be repurposed and reused for growing other crops other than cash crops like cart that are being grown on it? Or repurposing land that, is pre- that has previously been non-irrigatable, such as a lot of the desert land in central Yemen and using that land to grow or maybe do animal rearing or just use that land for agricultural purposes? Yes, I think that would be a wise way forward. Uh, I, I, I think the cornerstones of any, the cornerstones of any uh, post-war agricultural policy should be, it, it should be adopting, a, it should adopt a holistic approach. It should uh, provide alternatives and uh, it should, uh, uh, we can definitely uh, try and uh, and increase the the cult- the, the area and la- the area of land that can be cultivated in Yemen. But I, I think a starting point is just making sure that we that we take care of what we already have, because I think uh, even though it's just two percent, but it is I think uh, it can contribute significantly to to uh, to domestic production and uh, consumption. I want to talk a bit about the role of international organizations and bodies in informing agricultural development in Yemen, because you've already talked about the forced neoliberalization of the Yemeni food market. And we have touched a bit on the role of import and the, the importance of imports in Yemen's food economy. What is the other forms of intervention that have been implemented by large organizations such as the UNDP or large amounts of funds that have come from the World Bank, what have those funds gone to in terms of agricultural policy and how should those funds now be used or now be redirected for more effective agricultural policy? I think most of the, the funds went to uh, over financing uh, irrigated agriculture over uh, rain-fed agriculture. Uh, so those definitely uh, need to be reversed. Uh, a lot of external financing has supported uh, uh, Yemen's budget, which uh, part a large part of which was subsidizing diesel, for example, which farmers used to uh, to pump groundwater or uh, water to uh, to to irrigate their lands. So these policies need to be revisited, and they need to be. Retargeted so that we reinvest in in rural human capital. Uh, so not just the land, but also the, the people themselves. 
policies should be directed towards improving uh, people's health, people's uh, education in rural in the rural part of Yemen where the majority of Yemenis live. They need to be directed towards uh, retraining farmers, providing them with the finance that they need because currently a huge problem in Yemen is that even if farmers today wish to pursue other uh, kinds of cultivation other than cut or other than than export-oriented uh, uh, products, some of them just don't either don't have the money, they don't have the finance, they can't find uh, local seeds because those local seeds uh, and the, the local stock of native seeds have been lost over the years. So funds need to be redirected towards th these things. They need, we need to create employment in the rural sector to avoid the force, the forced migration of the that occurred during the 70s and 80s of the Yemeni labor, those people migrated because they were isolated, they were disconnected from their lands, and so you need to restore that connection to the land so that they they they're not really forced to find job opportunities uh, outside of uh, of uh, of rural Yemen or outside of Yemen. Uh, as a whole, so definitely there are lots of uh, areas that uh, that future policies need to look at, and it's as I said, I think what has been overlooked in Yemen is the relationship, the crucial link between the land and the lives of its inhabitants, and therefore to reverse that, to restore that balance between the 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 land and the people, you need to look at both parts. You need to make sure that uh, terrace uh, cultivation is supported, people have access to finance, uh, and not just that, uh, you need to look also at the, for example, one of the things that have been uh, changed in Yemen is that women in Yemen lost the, the integral role that they played in agricultural production. They, they were an important, uh, they, they, they were an important player in rural uh, Yemen, they contributed to to the rural sector, rural sector's productivity, and uh, this role has been lost. It has been lost because uh, the 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 understanding around the role of women in agriculture in Yemen has been changed due to cultural reasons, but also due to policy reasons. Uh, land has been abandoned, abandoned, and therefore it was no longer being utilized. So you need to look at many uh, different dimensions, not just one dimension. Uh, irrigation, human capital, people's health. You need to adopt demographic, uh, uh, demographic policies, not just agricultural or water policies. So it's really, it really needs to be holistic. And this is why uh, earlier you asked whether Previous attempts to to rescue the sector have succeeded, and the answer was no. And the reason is this: is because they never really adopted a holistic approach. Uh, they never really uh, saw the sector as a whole, but rather very uh, small components of the sector. You have mentioned up until now that Yemen needs to establish an independence of sorts after the war at least, so that it can fend for itself and feed its own citizens. Do you think foreign direct investment from countries such as US and China that are investing in the Gulf and in the Arabian Peninsula 
might actually play a role or might help in the development of the agricultural sector by providing things like infrastructure to Yemen? Perhaps, I don't know. It, we, we, um, it's, uh, so it's something to, to consider definitely. Uh, I think uh, it is important to realize that Yemen's agricultural transformation has not been just a social and, uh, and an and environmental transformation. It has also been simultaneously a political transformation. And therefore, geopolitics have played a very important role in the uh, decline of food production in Yemen, and perhaps it can play uh, a more uh, positive role going forward in restoring the, the sector's infrastructure, basic infrastru infrastructure uh, specifically. Uh, this will require that the government attracts foreign direct investment into ro the rural sector of Yemen. However, it has, uh, it has to be well managed. It has to be owned by Yemeni governments and by Yemen's bureaucracy. Uh, Yemen, Yemen's uh, bureaucracy needs to take an active role in long-term planning. We really need to look at, uh, we, I think we need to reimagine the role and the importance of the sector uh, in Yemen. Uh, we need to create a, a far-sighted vision that restores the sector's uh, central role in the economy. And once we have that figured out, then we can also, we can then from there figure out how international, how uh, countries can play an important role in, in revalorizing and restoring basic infrastructure in Yemen. Uh, Yemen should also, I think, I think that Yemen should not also ignore uh, perhaps the, the, the opportunity of integrating with the region's uh, economy. Uh, unfortunately, due to the conflicts uh, within the region that have been going on for, for a very long time now, Arab countries have, have never really been able to, to move beyond political conflicts to, to look into their, how they can integrate their economies. Uh, it is uh, it is quite unfortunate that initiatives such the the Gulf, for example, the Gulf, the GCC has not been able to to unify their borders, their custom systems, their currency, uh, and I think the Yemen should definitely, as a, as a, as a future vision, should try and integrate with the region's economy, with the support of countries uh, like uh, China and the U.S. But the, but the, I think the the uh, caption here, the fine print here, is that Yemeni governments need to own uh, whatever agricultural policy they decide to formulate and pursue and execute in the coming decades, and they need to understand that it is going to be a long redefining the relationship between Yemen's domestic markets and the international market. Uh, coming up with new rules of the game that work for us before it, they work for the international markets is a long-term uh, endeavor. It's not an easy task, and it needs to be not only owned, but it needs to be planned with that understanding, with that mentality, is that the, the, the uh, fruits of such policies will be harvested after a very long time. And unless we have that 
uh, long-term focus, the, the sector and the economy uh, more broadly will just continue to decline further and further. Uh, although one wonders how, 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 much, how much more can Yemen, uh, how much more trouble Yemen can get into. Yeah, I fully agree. I do think that a large-scale restructuring of economic policy and agricultural policy once the war is over is going to be pivotal and absolutely essential for the growth and development and the rejuvenation of Yemen's agricultural sector. Do you think, though, that in the interim, before the war actually ends and in the current state of conflict in Yemen, there are some small-scale changes that can be implemented either through means of provision of humanitarian aid by international organizations or just by individual households within Yemen that can help combat both the water and the food crisis in Yemen today? I would like to see the, interna- the, 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 uh, the assistance of the international community in the medium term and the short medium term is, is necessary. It is inevitable. And uh, I would like them to see them find local alternatives to, uh, to food assistance that's in the form of wheat, for example. I, I do find it very absurd, really, that in a country that does not produce wheat, food assistance comes in the form of uh, wheat. It just makes the... It speaks to my point earlier that Yemen's de-development de- has really been misread. Uh, and this is why I think it is a paradigm shift to... to reverse this uh, trend, we really need to change how we look at the sector. So I would like to see the international sector, the international donors provide food assistance to Yemen, but in a different different way. Uh, They should encourage uh, homegrown alternatives as much as possible. They, of course, we don't want to starve people, but there's, there are lots of lands that can, uh, we can provide with the financial assistance, with the technical assistance that enables uh, them to, to, to engage in, in the domestic production of sorghum, uh, whether it's for uh, human consumption or livestock consumption. I would like uh, the international community to help Yemenis restore their, uh, their stock of native grains that have been lost over time. This is an important area. We should definitely create employment opportunities, whether whether through cash for cr- cash transfer programs or any other developmental interventions that create opportunities in the rural sector that reconnect the people to their lands, that help Yemeni farmers um, uh, uh, put back the walls of the terraces that have crumbled and that have led to these floods that are now flooding Yemen each summer. So there's definitely a lot that can be done in the short term uh, while Yemen is able to recover from from the war and start uh, taking bigger steps towards the economy, the development of its economy. Just how important is agricultural and water reform in the development of Yemen? Can you quantify it as to just how important and just how central this reform is going to be once Yemen comes out of war or even in helping Yemen come out of war and become a stable functioning democracy? I think it is a, a number one priority for, for many reasons. It is a reality that Yemen is a rural society at the end of the day. 
most of the population lives in rural part of Yemen. The mass migrations of, uh, of Yemeni labor that happened during the 70s and 80s was not really a choice. It was a forced in some ways by ignoring uh, small, holding, uh, small holding agriculture in Yemen. I think small holding agriculture should be as important as small and medium enterprises, which we think are a very important uh, component of any healthy economy. And I think uh, in a rural economy, by, an all, by, by, by comparison, small holding agriculture should, should occupy the same, uh, the same uh, uh, priority. So uh, uh, definitely um, uh, we should, uh, I, I think it's important, it needs to be a priority. As I said, we are a rural society. Today, we, it's not sustainable. Like our food staples import bill sits around at around $2 billion uh, annually. Uh, our population will continue to increase. So in five years time, uh, this may, might jump easily to 2.5 billion. Come 2030, maybe we'll be approaching 3 billion. As I said, as of 2014, Yemen, uh, Yemen's import bill for five commodities only, which are wheat, sugar, rice, milk, and cooking oil. They amounted to 2.7 billion. 2.7 billion, that's almost $3 billion, which, uh, which is a almost a quarter of the country's entire merchandise imports. It does not really make sense. Like in, in, in the late 2000s, Yemen, Yemen's exports, total exports, I think they were at around 8 billion of which, uh, sorry, the, the, the trade deficit reached almost 4 billion just before the war, on the years leading up to the war. So it's not sustainable financially, fiscally, it's not sustainable. It's not meaningful. Uh, it's not sensible for a rural, rural society to ignore rural uh, uh, livelihoods and rural activity. It's not really uh, uh, helpful to the country in the long term. I don't think the country should ignore other sectors. They are important. Oil and gas is important. We, we, in fact, we need to restore full production, if we can, of oil and gas exports immediately following the war, because it generates uh, a very important foreign currency for us, which we then use to buy food and uh, buy uh, post-war recovery material that we will need to rebuild the country. But we need to diversify the economy. We need to make sure that agriculture achieves its potential and its push potential is huge. That sounds pretty accurate. And if this is to be achieved, then the economic strain on the country, because it's importing and paying a lot to import all these agricultural goods, will just be massively relieved and aid economic development for sure. Just lastly, before I let you go, Zed, can you recommend any books or popular media outlets that people can access to better understand the situation in Yemen today? I can make some recommendations because Yemen is not a specific case, although an extreme one. The, the severity of the crisis uh, of Yemen is, is similar to, to many other countries in the region. I think, I think uh, the, the, the work of uh, 
people like Martha Mondi. She's a professor emerita of uh, anthropology at the London School of Economics, is a necessary reading on Yemen. Because unless you understand the political economy of Yemen, of the sector, unless you understand not just the ecological agricultural changes, but also the geopolitical, the, the role of external and internal uh, factors, you'll never really understand the issue, uh, the full issue, uh, and you'll never be able to put it into its right context. So I think uh, the work of uh, people like Martha Mondi is, is, uh, is very relevant. It is very, uh, I find it very rigorous and very insightful. She has been working on Yemen since the 1970s, and she's very passionate about uh, the Yemeni Tehamas and the, uh, and the agriculture in, in Yemen as a whole. I also recommend, uh, for a broader perspective, I recommend reading uh, Dr. Ali Qadri's uh, book entitled Arab Development. It, it provides a very uh, important uh, analysis uh, and an, an attempt to explain, to explain the region's decline, because it's the issues that are faced in Yemen are not just Yemeni issues. You can find pa their parallels in other Arabian countries, and uh, uh, it will help understand uh, the, what I have referred to earlier as de-development of the agriculture sector. It is he who has coined this term uh, to, to to emphasize the fact that the decline of countries like Yemen and other Arabian countries was in in many in so many ways deliberate. Uh, it, it, it was purposeful. It was not a matter of chance. The uh, uh, the explosion of population growth, the uh, the uh, the huge dependence on imports, the uh, the overall poor performance of uh, the economies of the entire Arab region, especially rural societies, uh, was in many ways uh, the unfortunate consequence and result of ill-conceived policies in the regions. And I think those two would be very good readings. Uh, lastly, I think on agriculture sector, people like Max Agile from the University of Cornell, he's, he's very recently written a very good historical account of Yemen's rise on dependency. And uh, it provides lots of very, uh, very helpful statistics and analysis that goes all the way back to the, to the 60s and then to the years leading up to the current war. Thank you so much for this, Zed. I would also highly recommend Martha Mondi's book chapter, Neither Security Nor Sovereignty on the Political Economy of Food in Yemen, because it's a great resource to help understand what food insecurity in Yemen actually looks like and what the historic context of this food insecurity currently is. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zed. It's been incredible having you and it's been an incredibly interesting conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation and uh, I wish the country, the people, <laughs> All the best in the, in the coming decades. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.